Well, let's pray and we'll get into this. Father, we, uh, we do thank you once again, God, just how amazing it is to come together. And Lord, tonight as we look at the f- very, very, very core of our beliefs, that you took our sin upon yourself, you died for us so that we could have eternal life. I pray that it would draw each one of us closer to you, cause us to fall more in love with you, and Lord, we just look forward to what we're gonna learn, what you're gonna show us, and we pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, it was hard, like I was trying to, I wanted to stay in Luke, and I was trying to do Luke, and it was like, I thought maybe I'll do 22, and then I thought if I do all of 22, then you gotta get into chapter 23, and then if you do all of chapter 23, we're gonna be here for like two and a half hours. So I thought I need to trim it down a bit and fix it, and then uh, kind of looking at things. So I'm gonna give a little bit of a, a kind of a background and what's happened, because you know, chapter 22, there's so many good things there, where Jesus is at the Garden of Gethsemane, where he's arrested, And then one of my favorite scenes, and that's kind of why I wanted to do it, so it was selfish, is when Peter denies Jesus. And the third time he denies him, the rooster crows, and then I love, Luke is the only one that records it, and Luke says, and Jesus looked at him. Jesus was going across the courtyard, and I love that scene because I can't believe that Jesus gave him a scowl. Don't you know that that when the Lord looked at him, he said, Peter, I love you, it's okay. You're gonna be all right. He didn't look at him with condemnation and and I just love that. If if there was one scene I could paint in the Bible, I think that would be it. Just that whole idea of that. And then, so Jesus has a couple mistrials with with the uh, Sanhedrin, then he goes back and forth, if you remember, between Caiaphas and... and, uh, uh, his father-in-law, whatever his name was. Thank you. And so they go back and forth. And then, listen, then he finally goes to Pilate. And as he goes to Pilate, Pilate doesn't want to have anything to do with him. Is it always weird to you when you start reading that? It was like, it was like Jesus was the hot potato of the time. Like, man, I... You know, the Sanhedrin, they wanted to kill him, but they didn't have the authority to do it. Then they try and get him to Pilate, and Pilate's like going, I really don't want to deal with this. Now, you got to do, you know, for homework, Google some stuff about Pilate, because it's an interesting study. That guy, you know, that guy, you know, he was, he got himself in trouble. He was a quintessential politician, and not a servant, but a politician trying to build his career, trying to make things happen, and he got himself into some big trouble. Early on, when he came in, he was one of the first representatives of Rome who came into Jerusalem with banners with the emblem of Caesar on the banners, and the Jews went nuts because you're not supposed to do that in Jerusalem. And, you know, it's a whole thing. The guy had the sensitivity of a rock, and so, listen, man, they started rioting. He was going to come against them. All the Jews laid down and put their necks out and said, okay, cut our heads off. And so he was at an impasse. So he did that. Then he did some other stuff. It just got worser and worser for him. He didn't do good. And so now, listen, now he's got this Jesus that he's trying to deal with. And here's what he knows. The guy is innocent, but I can't make the Jews mad again. I made him mad one, well, he made him mad another time too and just about got kicked out of Israel. So listen, man, he's trying to deal with that whole thing, 
And as I look at it, you look at Jesus, and he has all of these trials that are phony trials, that are illegal, that are not even according, they're not according to Jewish law, they're not according to Roman law, and yet everybody is pushing it forward. Now, the thing that sort of blows my mind is a lot of people look at the Romans, they look at the soldiers, they look at Pilate, they look at the Sanhedrin. Listen carefully. You need to look at God. God is orchestrating all of this. As ugly as it gets, as messed up as it gets, as weird as it gets, God is in control, and God is working his plan. Jesus Christ had to die for our sins. He came for one reason. He didn't come to be a good teacher. He didn't come to point the way. He didn't come to do, uh, be a good prophet. He came to die for our sins. So, you know, when we kind of get into those things, and sometimes I get caught up in them, and I get caught up in a thing, well, man, if, you know, if this wouldn't have happened, then that wouldn't have happened, and if that wouldn't have happened, then Jesus wouldn't have died, and then I would still be in trouble in my sins. So, kind of keep that in mind as we look at this. So now, listen, now we're almost caught up to where, to where we're going to begin in verse 26, but... Uh, I'm going to paraphrase 13 through 25, and that's the area where he finally decides he's got an out. He sent him to Herod, and Herod sent him back, right? And Luke tells us that day Herod and Pilate became friends. That's kind of weird that they bonded over trying to kill Jesus, you know, and like, wow, now we can be friends. And so, you know, you've got that going on. Then he comes back, and Pilate's got one more thing that he's trying to pull another rabbit out of the hat. And he comes up with this great plan. Do you ever sit and think about, if I do this, and then I do this, and then I do this, I'll be okay? Well, that's what he was. So he came up with this great plan. I know what I'll do. It's good for us during the holiday, right? And we're going to talk about that in a moment, that I would release someone and, and let them go. So he gets a hold of them, gets the crowd, and he says, hey, I'm supposed to release someone. Who do you want me to release, Jesus or Barabbas? Now, this guy named Barabbas, he was a piece of work. He was a rebel. He was coming against the government. He had murdered people. And I think that I, I believe that we're going to read later on, the two guys on the cross were also, I think they were all in cahoots with each other. I think the three of them were in cahoots. So he's, he comes up with this, surely they're not going to ask for Barabbas because he's a piece of work. It would be like Jesus or Jeffrey Dahmer. You know, in our, in, our, in our generation and culture. So listen, man, he asked him that, and the, and the people yell, Barabbas. And he goes, seriously? And he yelled, Barabbas again. Now, I want us to think about something, because I love this scene, too. Pretend you're in Barabbas, and you're in a dungeon, and you're tucked away, and you're, you're, you can't see what's going on, but all of a sudden you hear your name, Barabbas, Barabbas. You're going, yes. And then he says, Pilate says to them, what do I do with Jesus? He can't hear Pilate. And the crowd yells, crucify him. Here's what Barabbas hears. Barabbas, crucify him. That'd freak you out a little bit, right? That'd kind of get your blood pumping because you know you deserve that. And so I believe that's what Barabbas is hearing. And so then Pilate goes, come on, man, this is insane. And they go, no, you crucify him. Now, a lot of people say the same people who were yelling, Yesterday, in their time frame, or, or two days ago, you know, Hosanna is he who comes in the name of the Lord, are the same people yelling crucify. That's maybe stretching it. Maybe some of the same ones were there. But nonetheless, 
Look at how fickle things and, and people are. So now they're saying, listen, crucify him. Get rid of him. And now that's where we're gonna come in. So he releases Barabbas. Now here's what I love. If there's ever a perfect picture of somebody not getting what they deserve because of Jesus Christ, Barabbas is the man. Don't you know that that guy loved Jesus? Maybe not in the right way, but he was really happy, right? Because he got released, he got set free. Jesus went in his place. So now we have that. Now we come to the actual part of the crucifixion. And I had alluded to on the weekend that we might talk about is it Good Friday, Good Thursday, or Good Wednesday, or exactly what day of the week was Jesus crucified? And I was going to talk about it some, but the deeper I dug, the more confused I got. And you know what? It's deep. And here's the thing. There's holes no matter where you go in it. If you go with Friday, there's some things you got to explain, some things you got to deal with. If you go Thursday, there's some things you got to explain, things you got to deal with. And I, I think Wednesday's kind of like stretching it too far personally, but some people go there. So I was all set to do some stuff, and then I thought, if I go that deep in it, here's what's going to happen. We're all going to go home thinking about Thursday or Friday and not thinking about Jesus. So you guys have computers. Use your Google. Google it yourself and kind of read all of the articles and all of the things and all of the arguments. And isn't it really silly to kind of get tied up in that? Jesus was crucified. There's no doubt about it. And I'll talk about some of the people who have written about it who are not, you know, Jews or Christians. And, and well, one was a Jew. But listen, he was crucified. So I would encourage you in the next day or two, read Matthew 27, uh, Mark 15, uh, Luke 23, uh, John 19. Kind of, kind of read those. I, I love every Easter time just to stop and read those and remember once again, what exactly happened so that I could have forgiveness and what took place for me? And, and so, you know, kind of getting into that. And some of them kind of, they, they all give us a different perspective. But it is interesting who all of them include and, who, and what all of them include and what they, what they uh, record. So it says in verse 26, now as they led him away, they laid hold of a certain man Simon, a Cyrenian, who was coming from the country, and on him they laid the cross that he, that he might bear it after Jesus. So think about this guy, and three of them mention him. John doesn't mention him, but all the synoptic gospels mention, mention this Simon. And it sort of blows my mind. Here's what I think. Here's a guy, tells us he was from Cyrene, which means northern Africa, he had probably traveled 800, 900, maybe 1,000 miles to get to Passover. He was there for Passover. He's a Jew. And imagine, you know, I don't know if he went every year or maybe this was one of his first times, how excited you would be to be in Jerusalem and the hustle and the bustle. And, and remember, during the time of Jesus, Jerusalem would grow exponentially to to like 200,000 people would come into the city to celebrate and imagine just all that you would feel. And you're Simon, man, you finally make it and, and you're excited and all of a sudden you get distracted because you hear this stuff going on and this ruckus going on and all of a sudden these guys just grab you and drag, 
carry this cross. Talk about an interruption in your day, right? Or in your plans. Here's what I like to kind of think about, though. Shouldn't Jesus interrupt our plans? Yeah. Shouldn't he invade our lives, especially at the times when we least expect it? We should expect it. And here, man, I, I kind of love this whole idea of this guy. And I personally believe this changed this man forever. I don't believe this was an accident. I don't believe it was a coincidence. I believe God had his hand in this. Not Listen, not just to help Jesus. This guy needed to get saved. And God says, man, do I have a way for you? And think about what God and what the lengths God would go to to reveal himself to you. That's how much he loves us. And he interrupts this guy. This guy carries the cross. Now Mark tells us he had a couple kids. Rufus and what's his name? I just remember Rufus because later on, Paul in his letter to the Romans says, greet Rufus. So his two boys, Alexander, I think is the other one. His two boys, obviously, they got saved. And why would Mark name them? Who was Mark writing to? He was writing to Christians of Rome. Mark would name them because the people in Rome would know exactly who he's talking about. And they would know the two boys. They would know what's involved. And, and you know, I just, I just get excited when I think about, hey, you go for one reason to do something, and God has an entirely different plan for you. And so now, listen, all of that works out. So that's interruption number one. That guy comes in. And then it says, and, verse 27, a great multitude of people followed him and women who also mourned and lamented him. But Jesus, turning to them, said, daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For indeed, the days are coming in which they will say, blessed are the barren wombs that never bore and the breasts which never nursed, then they will begin to say to the mountains, fall on us, and to the hills, cover us. For if they do these things in the green wood, what will they do in the dry? Now, Jesus turns to them, and they're lamenting him, and here's what he's saying. Oh, you shouldn't feel bad about me. You should feel bad about you and where you're at. Listen, they were dead in their sins. And Jesus, even prophetically looking forward to what was gonna happen in Jerusalem, but I think greater than that, I don't think that's all he's looking at. I think he's looking at the fact that they're dead in their sins. You should be weeping for yourselves. You should be concerned about yourselves. And then when he talks about the green wood and the dry wood, you kind of read that part and you're going, where did that come from? Hey, he's talking about, I believe he's a green wood. And green wood, listen, green wood doesn't burn very, wood, but very well, but dry wood, right? And he's saying, listen, I'm the green wood. I'm innocent. You're guilty. You get what you deserve. So kind of laying that whole thing out. And again, I think it impacted lives, impacted the people. And as I read this, listen, I know some people get caught up with the stations of the cross and those sort of things and all of that. That's not biblical, all of that's extra biblical stuff. And when you get caught up with that, you lose exactly what's going on. So Jesus turns to them. That sort of blows my mind when he does that. But he turns to them, says that. And then very quickly, verse 32, there were also two other criminals led with him to be put to death. And when they came to the place called Calvary, they crucified him. 
and the criminals on one on on uh, on the one on the right hand and the other on the left. Now, something I would challenge you when you read later on in Mark 15, Matthew 27, John 19. Have you ever noticed how in the Bible they say, and they crucified him and it's done? They don't go into long explanations. They don't go into long detail about what was happening, what was going on, everything. All they do, all of the gospels, all four say this, and they crucified him. Now, part of it is they were very familiar with crucifixion. They knew what was, what was happening, and they didn't really need it explained. But I think part of it, too, is sometimes we lose ourselves in the detail of the physical suffering that Jesus went through, and we lose sight of the fact that he suffered spiritually, and the spiritual suffering is a bazillion times more than the physical suffering. Now, I think the grossness of the physical suffering is to let us kind of give us insight. Here's what's going on. But again, I think sometimes, man, I hear some people and they can get so passionate about the suffering on the cross and the whipping, the scourging, and his back being laid open and, and you know, the, all of this stuff going on there. And then they get to the robe and the robe being pulled off and the scab being ripped off and opened up again. And then as they drive the nails in his wrist and they rip the nerves open and now he's got open nerve endings rubbing and all of that. And they get in all that. And you hear that and it like moves you passionately. But then you forget about what really took place. And I think it can be dangerous if you want. Hey, if you want, there's some guys that wrote a, 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 a tremendous article. I gotta find it here because I lost it. Bummer. Someplace, some guys wrote a great thing. <laughs> some doctors, there they are. So uh, uh, two doctors and a, and a, a, a theologian, and, and they wrote on the physical death of Christ in the Journal of the American Medical Association, number 255, uh, pages 1455 through 63. They wrote this in 1986. They got very detailed. So Google that and look at that and read that if that's what you want to get into, because it's gross. What happened was gross, but it's interesting. Scripturally, here's what we get, and they crucified him, and we kind of move on from that. And he doesn't spend time with that. Now, here's what I found fascinating is here's four other people that wrote about the fact that Jesus was crucified. Remember last weekend I said, sometimes it's good for us to give historical facts. Listen to this. This guy, a Serapion, uh, 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 it was Mara Bar Serapion, he wrote a letter to his son in 73 AD. He mentioned the crucifixion. He was Jewish. Josephus, most of us know about Josephus, the historian, 90 AD, he wrote about the crucifixion of Jesus, not just crucifixion in general, but of Jesus. So he recorded it. And then also Tacitus, the Roman historian, in 1110 AD, or I'm sorry, 110 AD, wrote about the crucifixion. And then the Babylonian Talmud in 120 AD wrote about it. Are you kind of getting my point? Hey, it's not just the Bible records the fact that Jesus was crucified. It's through all kinds of other writings. And you and I, listen, it's good to know that, to tell some people, what do you mean you think he was crucified? I don't think he was crucified. I know he was crucified. And it's not just biblical accounts. Extra biblical accounts count for it. Now, going back to that, because I do want to touch on one part. In verse 33, again, it says, and when they had come to the place called Calvary. Now, 
depending on what translation you have, the New King James and the King James use the word Calvary. Every other translation uses the word skull. They came to the place of the skull, which the root, the etymology for Calvary comes from the Latin and the Greek, which means skull. So it's always interesting to me when we talk about Calvary Chapel, our church basically is named Skull Chapel. If you really kind of get down to it, that would be, that might be, you know, kind of a hipster sort of thing to do today and kind of attract some people, right? But he came to the place and obviously it was a place people knew. Now, here's the thing. When you go to Israel today and you look at different sites and they have some archaeological digs and, and, and uh, stuff, you've got the, the Church of the Holy Sepulchre that the Catholics believe is the place and the site and then you have a place called Gordon's Tomb or the Garden Tomb. And uh, it's kind of, they're, they're pretty far from each other. And I always think, how can they be that far from each other? And both sites may have valid points to them. And some people want to argue. And again, when we go to Israel, we don't go to the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. Not because I don't believe that's a site, but the Church of the Holy Sepulchre is dark. It's smelly. It's crowded. People are wailing, weeping, upset. You go to the garden tomb, it's open, airy, there's flowers, and the best part, there's an empty tomb. Hallelujah. We'll talk more about that Sunday. But listen, so where exactly was he crucified? And each of them kind of have a, a, a hill close by. Again, I don't think it's important so much that we identify it today, but we do identify the fact that he was crucified on a hill that they knew about. And, and again, it was a crossroads where everybody went. Now, something to think about too is the Romans had crucifixion down to an art. There was crucifixion and then there was crucifixion. Like, the Romans didn't invent it. Actually, the Persians are the ones who started crucifixion about 300 years before Rome ever came into any kind of power. And they were pretty good at it but the Romans perfected it, and here's what the Romans wanted. They wanted to inflict the most amount of pain for the longest possible of time to keep that person alive and suffer the longest. That was their goal and what they wanted to do. So again, I think all of that is valid when you look at Jesus, but there's something greater going on. So again, the gospel writers, they just say, and they crucified him. They don't get into exactly what went on. And then it says, one criminal on his left, one on his right. And then I love this, and we could have done the seven words from, from the cross, but this is, this is the one that blows my mind. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Wow. You see, that's our Lord. Even in the midst of that suffering and pain and knowing what was coming, the heart of forgiveness, the heart of asking for that forgiveness for that group of people. Because they were obviously, hey, they weren't nice people. I don't, I don't want to give us a picture like they were really sweet and innocent. No, these were some bad men. As a matter of fact, most of them enjoyed the job they were doing. They were into it. And Jesus looks at him, can you imagine, can you imagine just even standing there that day and hearing those words? I think it affected one soldier. We'll talk about him in a minute. But he says, forgive them. And then, listen, and then it says, after that, 
Again, Luke's is, is different than the others. It says, and they divided his garments and cast lots. You know, I read that, and here's what I thought about. Those soldiers that day, they took trinkets away. When they left, hey, man, I got this. I got that. And sometimes as Christians, all we leave with is a trinket. We don't, we don't allow God to get into our hearts. We just have some little trinket that we walk away with and go, oh, yeah, that was kind of, we gotta, listen, we gotta open ourselves up and let him penetrate our hearts and hit our hearts. And they just walk away with kind of just a little souvenir, if you will. And I, man, I don't want people leaving with souvenirs. I want them leaving with Jesus. And so then he says this, listen, then it says, and the people stood looking on, but even the rulers seemed, uh, even the rulers with them sneered, saying, he saved others, let him save himself if he is the Christ, the chosen of God. And the soldiers mocked him, coming and offering him the sour wine and saying, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. And the inscription also was written over him in the letters of Greek, Latin, and Hebrew. This is the king of the Jews. So all of that is going on. Listen, they're mocking and making fun. But isn't it interesting, even those mocking him, what are the first words they say? He saved others. Why? Because they knew what he had done. They couldn't deny what he had done. And hey, I, I think, man, how blind can you be when you refuse to see? They knew what Jesus had done. They knew he raised the dead. I imagine a lot of them knew all about Lazarus. Listen, that had to be the talk of the century, right? A guy comes out of a tomb. That didn't happen all the time. And I'm sure they're talking about it. And now, listen, now they're going, well, listen, he could do that. Let him save himself. And you know Jesus could have come come off that cross. He could have come off that cross and smacked them. <laughs> Gone right back up on the cross. <laughs> but he doesn't. He doesn't. He lets them have their way. And you know, sometimes that's frightening if God lets us have our way and go our way. So you have the leaders and then the soldiers joining in and trying to give him the wine that would, would ease the pain, mock him, make fun of him. And now everybody's kind of joining in. It's kind of a sad scene, isn't it, when you think about it? And then I think about there had to be this little gathering over here somewhere of Mary and Mary and Mary and Mary. <laughs> and they're hanging out over here. And John... But their hearts are breaking and you have these others just mocking and making fun. It shouldn't shock us that, Jesus, that people mock our faith, make fun of our faith. Sometimes we get all uptight and I, I think we should just say, you know what, it's okay, you can mock, you can do whatever you want. I feel more sorry for you than you ever think of me and how low I might be in your eyes. So all of that's going on and and then, this is, again, one of my favorite scenes. There's just certain parts, like I love Peter and Jesus meeting eye to eye, face to face. And then you have this, verse 39. Then one of the criminals who were hanged blasphemed Jesus, blasphemed him, saying, if you are the Christ, save yourself and us. Now, I like this guy, right? This guy gets a little bit more real, right? Hey, if you're really the Christ, then get yourself off of here and get us off of here, right? You kind of like, he's, at least he's being honest, 
but they're, again, mocking him and making fun of him. The other one, verse 40, and it's funny, we don't get their names, right? But the other answering rebuked him, saying, do you not even fear God, seeing you are under the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive due reward of our deeds, but this man has done no wrong. Really, where did that guy get his information? He's hanging on a cross next to, next to Jesus, and he's got greater insight than people who are at the trials and people who are part of it. Where did that come from? I think it could only come from one place. A revelation from God, right? And God working on that guy's heart. And listen, man, I think, I personally think this is one of the coolest scenes in the Bible. This guy's dying. He knows he's dying. One thing about carrying your cross or the cross, if you went to the cross, you were gonna die. There was nobody ever survived the cross. So he knew, I'm done. And here's what he tells his buddy, right? Fellow guy in crime, what's the matter with you? We deserve what we're getting. He did nothing. He did nothing wrong. And they're crucifying him. And then he turns to Jesus. Don't you love this? And then he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Wow. Wow. Must have been some background in Judaism, huh? He knew about the Messiah. Obviously, that's what he's saying. When he's saying, remember me when you come into your kingdom, had that concept and all of that going on. But I want you to think about what he said and what he didn't say. Did you notice what he said? Remember me. Listen carefully. He didn't say, remember my works. Remember my faith. Remember my service. Remember my love. What did he say? Remember me. There's a guy who's repentant. There's a guy who he knows, listen, I know that I'm getting what I deserve. I know that I'm where I deserve. And the one thing I need, and the only thing I need right now is the grace of God. Man, Jesus, remember me. I love, I love that, whole, that whole idea of that guy coming to that place in that moment. I know some people get uptight, like, well, he didn't deserve it. Yeah, well, you didn't deserve it either. You know, when people tell me that, I'm going, oh, and you are that good? I think it's pretty cool when elderly people get saved. I think it's in some ways sad if they wasted their whole life but I also think it's really, really good. One of my greatest privileges was being able to baptize my father-in-law when he was 87. Yeah. Hey, and people go, well, what about, it doesn't matter, right? And notice that Jesus, what did Jesus say to him? Jesus said to him, no way, man. Like, we, don't, we don't have enough time. Like, seriously? Jesus looks at him, seriously? At the end of your life, you want to get saved? What's the matter with you? Because that's how some of us feel sometimes. Even as Christians, sometimes we think somebody, they don't deserve, it, no one deserves it. And it's great if anybody comes to Jesus. But I think, for me, it's a little bit more special when someone's on their deathbed because, man, listen, man, they're there and they're close and now they're repenting. I remember I was ministering to an old guy one time in a hospital, 
And this may offend some of you, but it's okay, you'll get over it. <laughs> and he was, he was into the Masons, and he had his Masonic ring on. And I remember, obviously God was dealing with him. I didn't say anything. And he goes, Pastor, do I need to take this ring off? Because I'm dying, and I want to go to heaven. I go, I don't think that ring is going to get you in heaven. I don't think it's going to keep you out of heaven. But isn't it interesting when you get there, some of the things. And here was this man. He was wanting to listen. He was wanting to make sure he had nothing between him and the Lord. And this guy just says, hey, remember me. Jesus looks at him. Listen, Jesus turns to him and says, assuredly, I say to you, comma. It's important where the comma is, right? I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Wow. Listen, listen how great this is. Jesus doesn't just say, hey, you're going to come to my kingdom today. He says, listen, today your last breath here is going to be your next breath with me in paradise. Woo! Yeah. Don't you know that guy soared just a little bit on that cross and was able to endure just a little bit more pain? When he heard that from Jesus, it wasn't just kingdom. It was like, man, I have accepted you and you're part of what I'm doing. You're not just a subject in my kingdom. You're going to be with me. Get the difference? You're going to be with me. Isn't that great? I like, I get so excited every time I read it. I go, yes. And some people put the comma after today. You can't do that in original language. Some people say, assuredly, I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. And, and they kind of mess up the whole thought. That's not what he's saying. And by, well, I don't want to get off. I'm going on a rabbit trail. He wasn't baptized. But back to verse 44. So just, <laughs> just for those that are all into that, I just couldn't help it. I had to say it. So, so verse 44. Now it was, that's for those of you who get all legalistic about that. You can think about that all night, you know. You need to be turning in your bed. Why did he say that right there? But anyway, so go to verse 44. Come on, all of us. Verse 44. Now it was about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over all the earth until the ninth hour. Now here's what kind of freaks me out. What does the Bible say? There was darkness over all the earth. And then I read commentaries and they go, well, we know this was just a localized darkness. I'm going, what did the Bible just say? It says over all the earth. That means over all the earth. And then, and then listen, it couldn't have been an eclipse. Some people go, well, we know it was an eclipse. Couldn't have been. How do I know that? Because I was there. No. <laughs> How, do I know that? How do I know that? Because what are we celebrating? Passover. When is Passover. There's always a full moon in the Passover. You can't have a full moon and an eclipse at the same time. doesn't work. So we know, listen, we know it wasn't an eclipse. Why did darkness, I read that in it, like darkness, it was, it was about the ninth hour, which means it was about noon, and darkness over all the earth, and the sun was darkened, and the veil of the temple was torn in two. So Jesus, listen, as Jesus dies, why is there darkness for three hours? Oh, it bothers me when people say, because evil was reigning. No, evil never reigned. Why was there darkness? Why did that have to happen? Because during that three hours, you know what Jesus was doing? 
Oh, you can read the other Gospels. He cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? During those three hours, he was paying the eternal damnation that you and I deserve for any sin we've ever committed. And a lot of us have multitudes of sins we've committed. And he was taking that punishment. And the darkness was because the Father and the Son were separated for that time because Jesus was taking what I deserve, what you deserve. And that had to be the most excruciating three hours of all of eternity that Jesus ever lived, this one who's God and man. And that is why he's got to be 100% God and 100% man. He has to be man to be able to take our place. Has to be. And he's got to be God in order to take the eternal punishment I deserve in that moment of time, in that time period, because a human could not do it. And listen, that's why it always bothers me when people pick on either the deity or the humanity of Jesus. You subtract either one of those. Listen carefully. You take away not only my salvation, but your salvation. It's got to happen that way. So the darkness came because he's paying the price and the veil was rent in two because the price was paid and the way into the Holy of Holies was open and it was no longer closed off to everybody except that high priest once a year. God made a way. So that happens. The other, listen, the other translation said there was an earthquake. They say tombs. Every time I read, I read Matthew and the tombs were open and people came out. I'm thinking, nobody freaked out about that? Like dead bodies are coming out of the ground. It's like, that should get your attention. Like, man, I think something strange happened today. <laughs> so listen, man, we have that, but, but all of that's going on. And then it tells us, verse 46, when Jesus had cried out in a loud voice, he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Having said this, he breathed his last. Something interesting as you do your study in all four gospels, here's what you're gonna find out. Not one of them ever says, and he died. Hmm. All of them say, and he breathed his last. See, because technically, in that aspect, Jesus didn't die. He gave up his spirit. He chose the time when it would happen. I kind of like that, don't you? And he breathed his last. And again, check it out. Read all four Gospels. I'm trying to tease you guys so you'll read your Bibles. And then verse 47, oh, we gotta get going here. It's getting late. It's okay? Someone say, okay. So verse 47, so when the centurion saw what had happened, check this out, he glorified God saying, certainly this was a righteous man. Woo, yes. The centurion. The thing I love about the Bible is whenever it mentions these military commanders, it's always in a good light. It's kind of interesting, isn't it? Even, and because and they were all Roman commanders, they were Jewish commanders, they were Roman soldiers, they were hardened individuals. And every time, man, they're doing something really cool, right? Now this guy, obviously, this guy had done some gross stuff because he was there. He was leading the, the platoon or whatever, however you want to say, the group who crucified him, who was part of that. But now at the end, here's what he's going. Oh, wow. And I said, I love it. He worshiped God saying, truly, this was the son of God. Wow. That changed him, didn't it? Something happened in the heart of that man. Now, there are those 
or this says certainly this was a righteous man, sorry. But listen, man, there, there are those who say, there's no way, there's no way this guy got saved. And I'm thinking, why do, we, why do we always get so uptight when somebody who's out of the ordinary maybe got saved? Stop it. I'm gonna read it this way. I think he got saved. I think that centurion went home that day, a Jesus worshiper, right? Oh, and then, then it tells us, listen, he did that, and verse 48, and the whole crowd who came, to, who came together to the site, seeing what had happened, beat their chests and returned, but all his acquaintance, acquaintances and the women who followed him from Galilee stood at a distance watching these things. So those who are beating their chests could be beating their chests for a couple reasons. They could be like beating their chests because of what they've endured or they're even in some ways maybe celebrating that they got rid of that guy and, and took care of him, maybe beating their chests because it was something ugly that happened. Whatever, we're, you know, that, that's not, I, I don't want to say all of them went home saved, but the centurion. And then it tells us, man, here's that little group of Mary's and John. And they're hanging out and they're, they're, they're watching. Could you imagine their hearts? Could you imagine? Because their whole hope was this was the Messiah. He was going to take care of it. And I know when they arrested him and they did everything else, listen, that like started crumbling stuff, but now it's reality. There he is. He's dead. It's over. It's done. That had to be intense in their lives. So then... Listen, then, I love this part. I guess I like this whole chapter, huh? <laughs> Look at this guy. I just like the people who get involved here. Check this out. Now, behold, there was a man named Joseph who was a council member and good, a, a good and just man, and he had not consented to, the decision, to their decision and deed. He was from Arimathea, a city of the Jews, who himself was also waiting for the kingdom of God. Here's a mind blower to me. All four gospels mention this guy. And I hear people say, well, you know, Joseph wasn't a very strong believer because he didn't speak up during a trial and he didn't do these things. And then you got Nick who came at night, right? According to John, this guy Nicodemus is involved, Nick at night. And we know that Nick at night, listen, we know that Nick's got some issues and, and they're secret believers. And, you know, secret believers are people who won't come out and step out and do the right thing. Listen carefully. Different people are called to different things. And I think it's gross when we start judging people. And we start looking. Last I checked, the Holy Spirit wasn't looking for a replacement. Like there's not a big ad out in heaven. Holy Spirit's tired. Could you step up? So listen, we gotta let some things go. And I'm sure, listen, I'm sure there's some people who hassled Joseph. But here's this guy, listen. Obviously, it says he didn't like what they were doing, but he was waiting for the kingdom of God. And then verse 32, look at this step of faith. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. That's huge. Some are going, no, it's not that big. No, it's huge. Who is he? He's a member of the council. Who is Pilate really at odds with right now? The council. Who's the last person probably Pilate wants to see for the next three and a half weeks? Someone from the council. Man, they have ruined his life. They have made it miserable. Oh, by the way, Pilate's wife, not so happy with what's going down. 
right? She came out and said, dude, do not do this. And he did it anyway. So I'm sure that night was not pleasant in the pilot household. <laughs> and now here comes this guy. Who is this guy? Well, he's this guy from the Sanhedrin. What do you want? Can I have the body? That's pretty incredible. Can I have the body? What do you mean, can you have the body? Can I have the body? He's dead. Really? Can't be dead. Go out and break their legs. Make sure everybody's dead. Well, we don't need to break his legs because he's already dead. We poked him with a sword, and out came blood and water. And you can read that in one of the other Gospels. I know we did that fast. But Joseph goes, no, I want his body. I want to show him respect now. Don't judge this guy. He's doing exactly what God had him do. Here's what's kind of mind-boggling. This guy had, he had a tomb close by, right in that area. Just so, just so happened that he was a guy who had wealth. He was a guy who had a tomb. And a lot of people say, well, he knew he could give it to Jesus because he was only going to use it for three days and he'd get it right back and <laughs> then it's all fine. So I don't know about that, but who knows? But he had his tomb, he had everything going, and God, listen, God put this man in just the right place at just the right time. And now he steps up. Nicodemus steps up. Now you see two guys, listen, two guys who were undercover Christians, that sometimes we like to say, stepping up because this was exactly why God made them and why God had them. And Listen, don't judge other people. What does Jesus say? Don't judge another man's servant. So here they are, man. I think this is great. And they take him. And he went to Pilate, asked for the body of Jesus, verse 53. He took it down. He wrapped it with linen. And again, we know that Nicodemus was there, laid it in a tomb that was hewn out of the rock where no one had ever lain before. That was the preparation day and the Sabbath drew near. Verse 54 is why a lot of people say that Jesus died on Good Friday because the preparation day and the Sabbath was on Friday unless there was a Passover Sabbath that was on Friday and this was actually Thursday. But anyway, we're not gonna chase that rabbit. You can do it if you want. But it's the day before and then that's got some holes in my head, so... But here's the thing, they have to get him off the cross before three o'clock. Sundown is Sabbath, whether it's the Passover Sabbath or the Sabbath Sabbath, uh, it doesn't really matter. They gotta get him down. He takes him, listen man, this guy had the love of Jesus and the respect for Judaism. He gets him off that cross, takes him, put him in his, I believe, his own tomb. It's interesting, I read some people and they go, it probably wasn't his tomb. I think it was his tomb. I think he had bought it. Lots of people prepare, right, ahead of time. I think, and again, they were expensive. You carve something out of a rock, you spent some time, right? So he's got all that. He put them in the tomb. And then it says, and here's where we're going to stop in verse 55. It says, and the women who had come with him from Galilee followed after that they observed the tomb and how his body was laid. Then they returned and prepared spices and fragrant oil, and they rested on the Sabbath according to the commandment. So here's the thing. On this whole theory that, you know, Jesus swooned, that's just like bogus. But the theory I love is everybody went to the wrong tomb on Sunday morning. Really? 
Like right here it says the women watched him get put in the tomb and went and prepared spices. You think between whether it was Friday or Saturday or Sunday or Thursday, whatever day, whether it was that day, you think by Sunday they lost their way? Come on. They knew exactly where they were going. They knew exactly where it was. We know that Pilate put guards there and we're going to leave it there because it's Good Friday or Good Thursday or whatever we want. But here's the thing. Jesus died for our sins and he's in the tomb. You've got to wait till Sunday or Saturday night for the resurrection. So I want you to go home. Don't read ahead. I want you to think about, think about what these people went through for those couple of days and however you want to put it together. Think about what was going on in their heart. But I want us to be men and women who we understand this clearly. Jesus Christ went to the cross, gave up his life, we like to say died for us, gave up his life so we could spend eternity with him. There's no greater message than that. There's nothing better than that. And he did it for one reason. He loves us. He forgave the guy on the cross next to him. Why? Because he loved him. The guy didn't deserve it any more than I deserve it. But we're celebrating this week, I believe, the greatest event in human history. The fact that Jesus went to the cross, took the sin of the world upon him, paid the penalty, and then rose again on the third day to prove that that payment was sufficient. And you and I get to celebrate that. So tonight we're gonna come to the table and celebrate him and enjoy him And so let's go to prayer and then we'll come to the table. Let's stand up and pray. Father, we do thank you. God, we thank you for your grace in our lives. We thank you that tonight we could look at and maybe for some of us get a little better understanding, get a clearer picture. Maybe for some of us reading this again, And for a lot of us, we've heard it a lot. We know it. Some of us memorize portions of this. But my prayer is it never, ever, ever gets old and mundane for us. But we can approach, I think, this holy place in Scripture with awe and wonder that we have such an amazing salvation And we have a God who loves us and cares for us. Thank you for getting this written down. Thank you for revealing this to our hearts tonight. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.